0: Good morning. morning. It's February 4th. It snows in February. And uh, I'm glad that you're here at church this morning. Some of your friends had anxiety about driving in the snow. (laughs) And uh, today we're going to start a new series. And the series is questions that Jesus asked. And uh, I'm glad that you're here with us this morning to start this series together. For about 12 weeks, we're going to look at the questions some of them that Jesus asked. He asked questions because he was curious about humans that he was with, and he wanted to ask questions in order to engage people and find out where they were in their own life, what they were thinking, what they were believing. And uh, Jesus was an exquisite teacher, but he was a curious person with other people. Now you'd have to admit that Jesus um, didn't ask questions because he didn't know the answer. But he was asking questions in order to draw people in and engage them and listen to where they were in their life and what was important to them. He asked about 307 questions in the New Testament. On the other hand, he was asked about 180. And of the ones he was asked, he only answered around eight. Usually, when he was asked a question, he asked a question in return, which was interesting. But it tells us something about how to interact with people, I think, because Jesus was the best at it. Jesus could have dumped the truck on everything that he knew at any time and given an exquisite lecture. But he didn't do that. He asked an interrogative in order for someone else to engage with him about what they were thinking. And this is a really important lesson for us in living in the day in which we live today, interacting with people who do not know God and do not have the same um, maybe commitments that you might have, the way is not necessarily to give them a sermon, although I'm going to do that today. Yeah, it, it, it's maybe to ask a question and say, what do you think about this? Where, where are you in relation to this? Because asking a question invites people to draw in closer His questions were always an invitation to follow him, to learn from him. Sometimes his questions were very comforting. What do you want me to do for you? you Imagine if Jesus asked you that. What would you like me to do for you? And sometimes his questions were rather convicting. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and you're not even aware that you have a plank in your own? Oh, His questions led somewhere. Most of the time, they were leading to himself, challenging assumptions, probing understanding, calling for reflection, and ultimately a conviction and a decision. They really help us wrestle with the things of God, so that's what we're going to do this morning. Uh, We're going to do that. Let's remember this, that the greatest life change happens when people have time to reflect on something, let it ruminate in their hearts, and then make a decision about it. So I hope as we go through these questions over the next several weeks, that's what will happen for you. The very first text we're going to look at this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, the first book in the New Testament, chapter 6. So if you have your Bible, let's open together to Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to read the text. Here's our question for this morning. Why are you anxious? Now, if you heard Jesus say to you, why are you anxious, could you tick off the reasons that you are anxious? And I want you to hear me say that Jesus is not about to engage in a discourse with people saying to them, don't worry, be happy. It is not that. It is a question about anxiety, and so watch five times in this text where the question and the word anxious or anxiety is raised. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all those things, and your heavenly Father knows that you have need of them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. Now this uh, anxious reference is five times. Verse 25, 27, 28, 31, and 34. Anxiety is real. Who would say yes? Okay, it's a reality. Anxiety is an emotion in our hearts. It's a feeling. The Greek lexicon describes anxiety as an anxious concern based on apprehension about possible danger or misfortune. In one sense, anxiety is the right response built into the human nature to be aware of danger, be aware of something bad that might happen. You get uneasy about it. The term can be referred to something that is an unnecessary worry or a legitimate concern. Idiomatically, anxiety is used in a number of languages in ways like this, to be killed by one's mind or to be pained in your thinking. And you get that, like I'm so worried right now I can't even think straight. We live in a culture of anxiety today. I want you to think about this for a moment. Angst is the air that we breathe in our culture. Culture cultivates an anxiety. Just think about the headlines that you may have read. I, I read a headline a couple months ago, and I just thought, okay, this is, this is how our culture communicates. Mike Johnson... New Speaker of the House, Why You Should Be Worried. That's the headline. Or War Looming in the Middle East, What That Means for Your Portfolio. Or any other headline saying something that you didn't even know existed and why you should be very concerned that that's it. Uh, You know, it's everywhere in the culture around us, in the headlines, but let's be honest, there are concerns, are there not? There are concerns about the economy, the cost of living, the price of groceries, inflation, housing, war in Ukraine, war in Gaza, drugs, violence, crime, immigration, and the 2024 election cycle. Yes? Yeah, totally. Physical health decline, mental health. I mean, the list goes on. And I would suggest to you that there is in our culture a campaign to keep people anxious. Why? Well, so you'll be dependent upon the state for your solution. The kingdom of this world, if I can keep you in anxiety, I can control you. Okay, the Bible pictures a better king. A king who loves you, a king who is a good king, a king who wants the best for you. When we have anxiety, we always feel small, weak, and a little bit out of control. And Jesus wants something different for us because he's a good king and he wants us to know his father is a good, good father. He doesn't want to keep us in an anxious state. He wants to take care of the smallest things and he wants to take care of us. And that's part of what he's getting at here. Why are you anxious? I want to just establish that anxiety is an internal feeling that we all feel to a certain or lesser degree. Even great people of faith felt it in the Bible. Here's the Apostle Paul, one of our great heroes of the faith, talking about um, the same man who said, as we'll look at later, be anxious for nothing, says this about his life experience. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28, the Apostle Paul said, apart from all these things, which by the way, th- which things were beatings and imprisonments and famine and being starved and being shipwrecked and all those things, and apart from all those sufferings that I've been through, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul said, I worry about the churches all the time, and daily I think about, how's, how's that church in Thessalonica going? So what's he saying? There really are real anxieties that we feel, and even Jesus himself had what it was to be troubled on the inside of his life. In John chapter 11, and verse 33, Jesus, after the death of his friend Lazarus, saw the Mary weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping he was deeply moved in his spirit and he was greatly troubled that Greek word is to be stirred up on the inside in such a way that you, you have this real trouble on the inside of your soul it's spoken of Jesus a number of times in the New Testament not the least of which was he said I'm, I'm troubled in my soul one of you is going to betray me And then finally, in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is down on his knees and he's praying in great agony, sweating drops of blood, knowing that the cross was right before him. And that word, in agony, has the sense of a great mental and emotional grief and anxiety, a deep inner sorrow. So Jesus felt it, Paul felt it, do you feel it? Every once in a while, we feel it. And Jesus is talking to a group of people on the Sermon on the Mount, his first message, and he asks this question, Why are you anxious? What are you anxious about? And I think we should answer the question. When Jesus asks, we should answer. So, one of the things I'd like you to do today is in your little notes, whatever you're taking there, if Jesus were to say to you, Why are you anxious? What would be your top three? And I think you would want to talk to your top three. And the things he wants to talk about are found right in this text that he speaks to. So there is an anxiety that is a response. There's an anxiety that's inordinate, that controls us. And I think Jesus is trying to guide this audience in the first century not to be overwhelmed by anxiety. And there's a response that he wants to make. Jesus in this text is going to actually make an argument He's going to make about eight or nine different points of argument why anxiety doesn't need to rule your life. And so we're going to look at that together. You ready? Nine points. I don't know if I'll give you all nine, but here, here we go. What's the very first word of verse 25? Um, hmm, therefore. Everybody circle that in your Bible. Therefore. So what is the therefore, therefore? It's Therefore. Verse 24. So, in the flow of Jesus arguing, I want you to not have anxiety, this is the verse that precedes the therefore. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. Everybody say the last phrase together? You cannot serve God and money. Now, this might be the only thing you need to learn today, especially if you're a young person on the verge of your career and you're going to enter into your work world. If you had this down and this became a really strong principle for the way you lived your life, you would have less anxiety in your life, I guarantee you. What Jesus is saying is if you love money more than God, you're going to be anxious. You can't serve two masters. And anxiety. Jesus' argument for dealing with anxiety is all the way through the beginning of chapter 6. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Don't lay up for yourself treasures here on earth. You cannot serve God and money. Now, it's interesting because you need money to buy food and drink and clothing, right? So you have to have money. And you have to work and you have to accumulate enough things that you can meet your own needs. But loving them is where anxiety elevates itself to an inordinate place. If money is the highest priority, you will worry. Will I have enough? Will I lose what I have? And money is a cruel master. Jesus is saying that. So be on guard that you don't let the love of things rule in your heart because once that happens, then worry is bound to follow. So why do you think people in the United States are so anxious? There is a love of money. And the love of God has grown cold. And that is always going to result in anxiety. That's the first thing. The second thing, verse 25, um, Oh, well, let me just say one thing before we leave this. The World Health Organization has a small little enterprise called the World Mental Health Survey Consortium. And they did a survey of all the countries of the world, rich countries and poorer countries. And what they found in a recent study was that there is a higher proportion of people in higher-income countries with generalized anxiety disorder than in poorer countries. And why is that true, that in wealthier countries, like the United States of America, there is a higher measured anxiety disorder, by a psychiatric evaluation, than in poorer countries? Could it be that a love of money actually generates a sense of anxiety and insecurity? It probably is. And Jesus says you just cannot have two masters. You've got to identify which one is the one that you're going to see as the first in your life. And that's verse 24. Okay, verse 25. Here's a second reason that Jesus gives. Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, nor about your body, or what you will put on. Is not life more than food? That's the second reason. Life is more than food. Life consists of what is more than food and the body more than clothing. Life and the body are sustained by food and protected by clothing, but life is more than that. And be concerned about the more. What is the more? I think Jesus is beginning to lay down that there is a physical realm, there's a spiritual realm, and the spiritual realm of who you are as a human being, who you are in the internal sense of you is much more important than the external sense of you. So you could have all of this stuff, but inside you could be absolutely cavernously empty. And Jesus is saying, your life is not about just what you eat, it's about really... Your, your whole life. Now, let's think about the first century. Don't, don't be concerned about what you're going to eat. Well, they were concerned about would I have enough daily bread? And so we just read earlier in chapter 6, give us this day our daily bread. There is a prayer, Lord, will you care for me in my daily needs? Now, think about us today. How many of you are worried about what you're going to have for lunch today? Anybody? I mean, our worry is it going to be iceberg lettuce, romaine, uh, arugula, mixed greens, or butter lettuce. You know what I mean? Our, our anxiety is of a different nature than the first century. Their needs were real, like, will I have enough? And Jesus is saying to them, you, you, you know your life is not just about what you eat and what you wear, but more than that. So think about the spiritual part of your life, and then third, verse 26, look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, let your, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? What's the answer? Yes, you are. You're more valuable than birds, and God takes care of birds. Look at the birds, they don't have a job, they don't plan, they don't plan for tomorrow, they don't store food, and yet Jesus' illustration is God is caring for the birds. You're of more value for the birds. God will care for you one day at a time. Your heavenly Father feeds them. Will he not care for you? Now listen, Jesus is just making an argument. And I know some of you are in your mind right thinking, yeah, but some birds go hungry. Or some people... Deal with famine. And I agree with that. We're going to see what Paul says about that in just a moment. That's true. But Jesus is making an argument. God is the God of all of nature. And by nature you know that birds are cared for by the heavenly Father. And that's just another line of argument. So we've had three. Verse 27. Here's another line of argument that Jesus says. Verse 27. Which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to your span of life. Who, who can? Does anxiety make your life longer? No. Does it make your life shorter? It might. And Jesus is simply saying, think this through. Why, why are you being anxious? Will it extend your life? No. Um, it probably will shorten it. And then verse 28 thir- through 30, sort of a, f- a fifth line of understanding. Why are you anxious about clothing? Let's look at the lilies of the field. It's important to look at. The lilies of the field, how they grow, they don't toil, they don't spin, but the Father helps them grow and he creates them with such splendor and glory that even Solomon the king was not arrayed in the glory of wild mountain flowers, right? Don't you love to go see the flowers in the mountains? Yeah, they're so glorious. Who does that? God does that to them. Jesus' line of reasoning is, if God will do that to a flower, what will he do for you? Will he care for you? Yes, and again, some of you are saying, yeah, but some people don't have enough. Jesus is saying, don't worry about this. Can I just show one thing about this? Um, Where's 30? Is 30 on here? Okay, there's 30. If God clothes the grass of the field pay attention, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not care for you and clothe you, O you of little faith? What's he saying about the grass? It's here today and tomorrow it's gone. It's burned. If that's true of the grass, which is temporary, transient, ephemeral, What about you who are not ephemeral? You're not meaningless. You're not transient. You are eternal. You're going to live forever. You are his. He put his image in you. You are going to have an eternal life. Jesus is calling those who are a part of his kingdom. The king is here. You belong to the king. You're going to live forever if the grass is glorious clothed but it's only temporary. You who are eternal, you belong to God, you are more meaningful than the grass of the field, and you're his. Will he not care for you? It's just another line of thinking. Do you agree with it? Well, verse 31, not on the screen, says, uh, don't be anxious, therefore don't be anxious. What you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, or what you're going to wear. Now let's admit, we are living in a world in which our pantries are full, and um, our closets are stocked with clothes. And we all are insured in the things that we have, so we don't lose it. And we're trying hard to save for the future. And we do that, and we have this sense of anxiety. Is it enough? In the first century, there was just almost day-to-day subsistence. And Jesus is coming to them and saying, do not be anxious. You have a heavenly Father. And He cares for the birds. This is the line of reasoning. There's more reasoning. Verse 32 really gives two ideas. Verse 32 says, For the Gentiles seek after these things. What does that mean? It means that people who do not know there is a God and love God most, they're the ones who get most anxious about what the future holds and about their own life. But you're not a person who doesn't know God. You're a person who knows God. So those who know God know that he fulfills all of these things that we just looked at leading up to this point. So you're different because you're part of the kingdom of God and you know who your king is. And your heavenly father knows that you have need of all these things. That's the next line of reasoning. You have a heavenly father. And Jesus wants to indicate to all of his listeners the way I would want to indicate to you, there is a God in heaven who knows who you are and he knows what you're feeling and he knows what you need, you have a heavenly Father. What is Jesus saying in all of this? He's just saying, why are you anxious? Have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? Have you thought about that? Have you thought about that? And you know what the answer to that question is? No, most of the time I don't think about that. I think about whether I have enough money or not. And what we have to do is listen to the reasoning of Jesus here. Do you know that everyone who doesn't know God worries about those things? And do you know that you have a heavenly father who knows you have need of all these things? Okay, here's the eighth line of reasoning, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What is the first priority? I belong to God, I belong to the King, and I seek first His kingdom, and everything that He knows I need will be added to me. Now, are some of you in the room saying, well, what if they're not always added to me? Anybody think that? I mean, I think that. I look at that and say, well, why? Well, I wonder if some of the things that we want added to us couldn't be described as being essential needs and more properly described as wants. Is there a difference? Yeah. But the Father knows what you have need of. He knows you have all the needs of these things. This really comes down to your Heavenly Father knows you have need of these things. Is who do you trust. Who is it that you trust most? I, I, I trust my Heavenly Father. And what do I treasure most? Secondly, well, I, I treasure God and His kingdom. And I want His kingdom rule in my life. Is that what I really treasure the most? This is a very convicting statement. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Now let's think. I said we were going to think about Paul's life and others who said, um, you know, what happens when a Christian doesn't have enough food? You remember what Paul said? I am... Convinced that nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ. Remember that? I am convinced that neither tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Everybody remember that? All right, what's in there? Famine. Nakedness. Jesus saying, the Father will clothe you. I think Paul is sort of putting these together that there are times that we have want and need and it doesn't mean that we're separated from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You could go through a really difficult problem, but what what makes me make it through is understanding that there is a father in heaven he knows what i have need if he leads me through a path of hunger or famine or peril or or um tribulation I, am i still loved by god what's the answer everybody i, I am what is what's my heart saying My heart might be saying, God, where are you? Why aren't you helping me out? Why aren't you meeting my needs? I have these needs. And God may be saying, um, I I am your father in heaven. And he may be letting me go through this season. But I'm still hearing the words of Jesus, uh, don't don't be anxious, you have a father in heaven. Do not break from your love of God first in this case. And that's what Paul said, I've, I've learned how to get along with much and how to get along with little. Verse 34, here's the last line of argument that Jesus gives. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. How great would that be if we could live that? Tomorrow's going to be full of its own problems. Today has its own problems. Let's think about today. Now, that's not to suggest that you ought not plan for tomorrow and prepare for it in the way that we can, but there's a sense of an internal tribulation that goes on in us for things that we can't control about tomorrow tomorrow's going to have enough problems let's think about the problems of today that would be really good advice it's what james said in the new testament (coughs) excuse me don't boast about tomorrow you don't know what tomorrow's going to hold or don't boast about tomorrow for you don't know what a day will bring forth what does this really say here You remember Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23? That verse in the Old Testament says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. They're new for today. So today always has enough trouble, but today also has enough mercy for today's trouble. And if we could get that in our head, that we wouldn't have to think about tomorrow's trouble. That would be good. But I sometimes worry about retirement. You know, it's a sort of a numbers game. You get to certain spots, say, Do it. I have enough to get to the end? And where's the end? And what if I lose my mind? And what if I lose my health? And what if I lose my mind more than I'm losing it now? You know, what what if my body deteriorates? You know, you think about all those things that are coming. Or are you getting out of college, say, Will will there be a job for me? Will there be a woman for me? Will there be a husband for me? And you can go down the road and get anxious. And what's Jesus saying? Serve God. Know that he takes care of the birds. He'll take care of you. Know that his resources are unlimited. I mean, he's making all of these arguments through these verses. What activates turning these things that Jesus said into reality in your life. It's a little phrase in verse 30. See if you can find it. The last phrase of verse 30. See if you can find it. Okay? He's zeroed in on the activating principle of the truths he's just Made arguments for what needs to happen. Everybody, faith. Really, it comes down to this: Do you believe you have a heavenly Father? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. God's in heaven. No, no, no. Come back. Do you believe that God knows you have need of everything you have need of? Do you? Do you believe it's better to see God than money? Mm. Once I have enough. No, it's like God is first. And you of little faith is the trigger to turn these arguments of Jesus, these reasons for not being anxious into reality. And so here's really what it comes down to today on February 4th, 2024, everyone listening to my voice just needs to say, okay, do I believe these things are true? And if I don't, Lord, help my unbelief and help me to listen to the words of Jesus. And I'm going to stop now trying to give you a lecture about all these nine arguments and say, why are you anxious? You have to look at these nine arguments by Jesus and see if you believe them the way he wanted his first century listeners to believe them. Do you believe they're true? And faith will be what probably needs to become activated in your life to know that God can be trusted. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. And if you have an anxiety struggle, as I occasionally do, C.S. Lewis said, some people feel guilty about their anxieties and regard them as a defect of faith. I don't agree with that at all. They are afflictions, not sins. Like all afflictions, they are, if we can take them so, our share in the passion of Christ. I think you can sin because you get anxious, but I think anxieties are real for all of us. And if we think of them as an affliction that we must bring to God and give to Him, cast all your cares on Him, I think that will help us in a great way. Here's what Paul said in Philippians 4. This may help us to activate the faith for the things we've been talking about. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. To me that would be a parallel statement to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Know that he's here with you. Do not be anxious about anything. That's a big, that's a big word. What's the response? But in everything by prayer. Pray. You know what I would encourage you to pray this morning? Pray that you will believe the things that Jesus was arguing in Matthew chapter 6. Everything by prayer and supplication, requests, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what will be the result? Peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Wouldn't it be great if there were people of the kingdom who could live in an anxious culture like ours and say, are you anxious? yes and no. I have my anxieties, but I know I have a heavenly father who cares for me. All right, are there any questions? Listen, what is the greatest thing God ever did for us to show how much he cares and loves for us? Was it not that he gave his son for us and he died on the cross? So how great is it? Now we're gonna go to have communion together. As we have communion together, maybe one of the things that you would do, say, Lord, give me faith that I would believe what you said about anxiety. I I think if you were here today and said, why are you anxious? I'd have my list of things I'm anxious about, but would you just help me bring those to you And know that you paid it all. You you went to the cross to bring me into your family. Would you just give me faith to believe you are who you say you are? Now, if you've been far from God before we have communion this morning, I want to just encourage you to open your heart to him and say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Let me be your son or your daughter and let me eat this bread and drink this cup as a worship of who you really are. You're the one who I can trust with all my anxiety. All right, let's pray silently together. And if you're helping to serve, would you come? Just talk to God about what you've been feeling this morning during the message. Is there anything to turn away from? And then in a moment we'll pass out the bread and we'll all eat together. And then the cup. Thank you, Jesus, for your final work on the cross. You bore our sins in your body. You carried them away. We're reminded of that this morning as we eat this I pray for the power of your Holy Spirit to be in our soul and mind, to lift our worry and cares to the foot of the cross where you paid it all and you accomplished our greatest gift, what our true life is, our life in you. And so I pray you'll work in our mind as we eat with thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.